Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. It is great to be with you today on a beautiful, at least here, it is a beautiful spring day, not a cloud in the sky. Birds are chirping outside. It is just perfect. But is it? It isn't. Because the world's insect population is in decline, and that's bad news for humans. Our guest today is science and environment author Oliver Millman. Oliver Millman will join us in a moment to discuss his new book, Insect Crisis, The Fall of the Tiny Empires That Run the World. And Oliver Millman will tell us about his devastating examination of how collapsing insect populations worldwide threaten everything from wild birds to the food on our plate. From ants scurrying under leaf litter to bees able to fly higher than Mount Kilimanjaro, insects are everywhere. Three out of every four of our planet's known animal species are insects. In The Insect Crisis, acclaimed journalist Oliver Millman dives into the torrent of recent evidence that suggests this kaleidoscopic group of creatures is suffering the greatest existential crisis in its remarkable 400 million year history. What is causing the collapse of the insect world? Why does this alarming decline pose such a threat to us? And what can be done to stem the loss of the miniature empires that hold aloft life as we know it? The first inkling of the cataclysm was the deathly stillness. The countryside, suburban gardens and urban parks, their soundtracks now muffled, became lifeless imitations of themselves. No more rumbling buzzsaw of a passing bee, no metronomic chirping of a cricket, no nagging whine of a famished mosquito. Landscapes suddenly felt flat as the oil paintings they inspired, perhaps even less vivid given the riot colours they've been wrenched from the ecological palette once iridescent butterflies and flamboyant beetles were gone. The world's insects had vanished. The lag of human inertia meant the first howl of horror, oddly, came not from us, but rather from birds. The skies and forests were the settings for increasingly frantic bluebirds, nighthawks, woodpeckers and sparrows as they searched for aphids, moths and other meals that were no longer there. The deficit was huge. Around 200,000 insects had to be served up to raise a single swallow shape to adulthood. Now there were none. In all, half of the roughly 10,000 species of birds on Earth starved to extinction, their withered corpses strewn on the ground and within barren nests. An array of dead bodies, birds, squirrels, hedgehogs, humans, in fact, anything that set foot on land and was mortal, began to build up across valleys, hills, parks, and neglected city apartments. Blowflies, which laid maggots able to consume 60% of the human corpse within a week, were now absent, as were the moths, domestic beetles, and the rest of the cavalcade of insects that previously arrived to break down the deceased. Bacteria and fungi were still there to do the job, but at a far so place. It wasn't enough. The rotting carcasses and putrid smell triggered public revulsion until that too became normal. Before long, the struts of life holding aloft most of life on Earth were yanked away. Nearly 90% of wild flowering plants relied on pollination to prosper. Shorn of this service and lacking the nutrients that insects recycled back into the soil, the plants died. Gardens became lumpen deserts. Wild meadows vanished, followed eventually by tropical rainforest trees. More than half the human diet globally came directly from those formerly flowering plants, multiplying the starvation rates. Entire ecosystems collapsed, accelerating climate change. 
cascades of extinctions ripple throughout a new planet. For those of us left, the misery was finally complete. That, of course, is our guest today, author and science writer Oliver Millman, reading from his new book, Insect Crisis. And we'll answer a lot of questions today about insects as pests. They're not. The full scope of this insect loss what the loss of pollinators means, and a portrait of a crisis that threatens to upend the workings of our collective history. Part warning, part celebration of the incredible variety of insects, the insect crisis is a wake-up call for us all. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast science and environment best-selling author Oliver Millman. Oliver Millman, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be with you. It's good to talk to you, too. I want to just jump into this and talk about The Insect Crisis, your new book. You're really very much an environmental journalist, a a science writer, and you write an awful lot about climate change. But this book, The Insect Crisis, which is wonderful, is a bit different. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit why a book on insects specifically interested you now. Yeah, I mean, this is my first book. And I think if you told me kind of uh, four or five years ago that my first book would be on insects, I probably would have laughed at you. I mean, I've <laughs> I've been uh, lucky enough to spend my last kind of decade or so as an environmental writer for The Guardian in Australia and the US, going to the Arctic and Alaska, um, going to see grizzly bears in Montana or go to the Everglades in, in Florida and so on. Um I've been to some some great places and some very challenged places in terms of pollution and so on. But I I was never really cognizant or never really thought about the issue of insects. I mean, why would I? I mean, when we think about endangered creatures of our world, we think of, you know, the rhinos, the orangutans, um, the polar bears, these big kind of iconic um, animals of our age, the ones that we... Uh, think about in conservation terms that we fund um, efforts to to protect that appear everywhere in nature documentaries. These were the things that I I was also interested in in becoming an environmental writer. But it wasn't until kind of a series of studies started coming out and speaking to scientists involved in them that I realised that the loss of insects was was perhaps the most consequential and yet silent. Uh, catastrophic event happening in the world in terms of biodiversity loss. I mean, it's really quite startling to see some of the numbers in these studies of, of declines, um, you know, seeing declines of 70, 80, 90 percent loss of insect in some some parts of the world. And um, just in the last few decades as well, I mean, we, we may have lost kind of 95 percent of the world's tigers, for example, but we've, we've done that over kind of 100, 150 years. We've, we've lost We've lost nearly all insects in certain parts of the world just since the kind of 1970s, 1980s. And that was really quite startling to me. Um, and I wanted to kind of dig further into that and kind of explore that and explain to people what, what was really at stake here. Well, we're glad that, that you have done that. Um, the book is wonderful. Again, the title is The Insect Crisis, The Fall of the Tiny Empires That Run the World. Uh, tell us, how do insects run the world? Right. Well, I mean, the... First thing we think about uh, when we think about insects, if we think about them at all, is we think of pretty butterflies maybe, and we we suddenly think of bees. Um, uh, Butterflies uh, are wonderful creatures. Uh, They're not hugely important ecologically in our own selfish needs. Bees certainly are. 
um, uh, in terms of pollination. But it's not only them that pollinate. Butterflies do, beetles do, wasps do, a whole range of insects. In fact, a third of the food we eat is dependent on insect pollination. It's all the colourful stuff on our plates that um, uh, that we eat, the nutritious stuff, you know, um, the fruits and vegetables that we uh, rely upon, kind of apples and cranberries and cherries and melons and so on and so on. I mean, even our chocolate supply is dependent on a tiny little midge that can crawl into a cacao plant and pollinate it. We don't really think about that, do we? We think about eating chocolate, big chocolate fans. We don't think about the entire $100 billion industry is dependent on this tiny little midge. It can't be replaced in any way. Um, and yet, you know, food pollination is, is, you know, intrinsic to the food security of our world. There's no way we can uh, replace it in any way. As technologically advanced as we are, we rely heavily upon insects and um, th- their decline threatens that food security. We are, you know, at the mercy of, of pollinator decline. It's not just uh, the food that we eat, though. It's the, all the other kind of background unseen work the insects do in our world to keep things ticking over. Um, thinking about decomposition of waste. It's not like we like to think about these things very often, but the feces and dead bodies of the world need to go somewhere. And um, thankfully, insects are there to do a lot of that kind of unglamorous work. They break down uh, feces, they break down bodies, uh, and they crucially help cycle the nutrients from those things back into the environment. So the soils and plants and so on are replenished by the nutrients cycled through by insects once they break down waste. Um, So we're dependent on insects for healthy grasslands, healthy forests, uh, you know, essentially the kind of basis of nature around us um, is is handled in in many respects by insects. So um, without them, we would see, uh, you know, ecological collapse um, that would threaten our civilization and our own lives, certainly would threaten us with mass starvation. um, And that would not be a very pretty place to be. And and grim and and I, I want to say again thank you for reading a passage uh, from your book today we really appreciate that in chapter three it is titled zero insect days and you mentioned that Zen that Denmark has has run this fascinating experiment around uh, the car windshield and Denmark has witnessed insect declines of at about 97%, a, a staggering number. That's Denmark, but across the world, the reduction is still catastrophic. Where are we in terms of this catastrophe? And um, when might this future happen? Are we? Is it upon us? Can we do anything about it? Yeah, I mean, those, those are all great questions. I mean, I think you mentioned the windshield effect, and I think that's an interesting one because I think that's a kind of easy way for people to grasp this idea who who don't kind of pour over the research. I mean, I think I've spoken to a lot of people anecdotally uh, who don't really know much about insects who will say, oh, yeah, I remember driving cross country when I was a kid to go on vacation. And I remember my parents having to stop to scrape all the bugs off the windshield uh, or, or we got to the destination and there were you know bugs everywhere. Um, you know, smeared on smeared on the windshield, and it doesn't happen anymore. A lot of people just kind of it could sparks that kind of realization that um, there's something amiss there. Uh, and yeah, this this scientist in Denmark ran this rather eccentric study where he look, looked actually um, quantify that uh, uh, and see if it was it was actually the case. And yeah, he found by driving a car up and down the same stretch of road in Denmark and trapping insects around uh, the surrounding area. Yeah, the 97% decline um, since 1997. 
uh, in insect abundance there, which is is quite startling. But you see these similar kind of declines. I mean, that's particularly extreme, but th there's been some other really startling uh, research done around the world, different places. You think, well, okay, Denmark's one place. Um, what about other um, environments? You know, you've got the rainforest, the UNK rainforest in Puerto Rico. It's the only rainforest on US territory. Um, the entomologist Brad Listos from upstate New York, he went in the 1970s, put sticky plates all around the, the canopy and the forest floor um, uh, to capture insects and count them and see how how many there were. And he'd go back in the morning uh, and they would be blackened uh, with insects. He couldn't see the plates. He repeated the study just a couple of years ago and he was he was astonished to find there were barely any insects around in this seemingly untouched rainforest. And there was a 98% decline of insects by biomass compared, compared to the 1970s, which again is kind of astonishing that, you know, this seemingly pristine place had been almost emptied of insects. Um, the German countryside, it's kind of three quarters, three quarters of flying insects in nature reserves in uh, Germany have, uh, have vanished since the fall of the Berlin Wall since 1989. So, I mean, you've you're getting these kind of declines, huge declines everywhere. You know, it's it's happening pretty much everywhere scientists look. And it's not a complete picture. We don't know everything that's going on in every single country, especially in the tropics where most insect life lives. We don't know exactly what's happening there. But it seems whenever wherever scientists are looking, they're seeing declines and they, they're increasingly raising the alarm that we are in the midst of the insect crisis. And, and we're not sure how this is going to end up for us. We're still unclear about the contours of this uh, disaster, but it's certainly unfolding now and it's it's not leading us to a very good place. I want to read a quick review of the book from Hugh Raffles, author of Insectopedia. Hugh Raffles says, in this well-researched, engagingly written and refreshingly measured book, Oliver Millman reveals the profound and complex implications of insect decline, a necessary and timely wake-up call full of fascinating and often unexpected detail. The book, again, is wonderful. It's titled The Insect Crisis. Oliver Millman is our guest today. Oliver Millman, as you describe this unfolding crisis and this insect decline, tell us what's causing it. There's a, there's a reference in the book about some of climate change's vicious paradoxes. I found this fascinating too, such as why a warming climate will cause monarch butterflies to freeze to death. Maybe Give us some answers here about that. Yeah, that, that's an interesting case. I mean, I was lucky enough to travel to central Mexico just before the pandemic hit uh, for, as part of writing the book to to witness the endpoints of the monarch butterflies migration uh, uh, before winter. So they come from the US and Canada down to central Mexico to overwinter there. And they are reliant upon these huge oil trees that act, kind of act as umbrellas up in the mountains there in central Mexico um, uh, to, to roost under. And you, it's an incredible sight to see. It's kind of one of the wonders of nature to see millions of these orange and black butterflies blanketing these these trees to the point that the, the branches sag and sometimes break because there's just so many of them. Um, but they need these trees because they kind of act as kind of umbrellas uh, for to protect them from the elements. So uh, they kind of shelter underneath them from uh, rain. If rain was to fall directly on their wings, they could um, freeze. Uh, the, the water could freeze and then um, the butterfly would freeze to death. Um, 
that is a possibility now because uh, kind of paradoxically climate change is making it too hot for the trees um, they're having to kind of edge up the mountainside to find cooler climbs to survive because the temperature is being uh, um, ever risen of course due to the burning of fossil fuels so um, yeah the the trees there are becoming uh, endangered it's it's thought by the end of the century they will have completely disappeared from this area of mexico and and therefore the migration of the monarch butterflies will be essentially ended um which is uh, you know a, a terrible shame but these these are kind of the stories that are happening all over the insect world we are um you know we've altered the planet in so many ways and you know climate change is the kind of escalating problem that many insects and other animals have to deal with we've we're scrambling the seasons, so spring is arriving about 20 days earlier than it once was in many parts of the US. Um, so that's uh, messing up a whole series of different uh, intricate processes that happen when that we see each spring, the kind of budding of plants, the arrival of insects and, plant, uh, and birds and so on. That's all been thrown horribly off kilter, which is um, harmful for insects. The other two big things that other than climate change you would point to would be Habitat loss. So we've obviously deforested a huge area of our planet. We've turned kind of wildflower meadows and grasslands that are rich in insect life into monocultural tracts of farmland where it's just a single crop, um, not much habitat there for insects. And the third thing we've done is we've doused a lot of these areas in pesticides. We've kind of bombarded them with chemicals. So if you're a bee, you're looking around, there's not much to eat. And, and the places that you can go to eat are... Uh, kind of poison with chemicals so it, we've created quite a hostile world for insects and we've 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 kind of gone against their interests in many different ways many in my audience will be familiar with um the subject of of declining honeybees you, you've mentioned it here today their importance along with all the pollinators is 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 enormous and and we depend on bees i wonder if you'd tell us a little bit more about the decline of honeybees because their importance is is just crucial to us yeah i mean honeybees i mean i think it's important to note that honeybees if you think about it in an american context they are not native bees they were kind of imported and we've kind of refashioned them to become you know essential for um the production of food um they essentially they are the idea that you can have just a hive of honeybees and that be a kind of nice hobby and that's all it is that makes you a bit of honey and uh, you can get on with your job it's, it's not the life of beekeepers these days they they're essentially contractors who are um, sent around the country to pollinate blueberries and uh, citrus and uh, almonds and many many other things um, and uh, they're increasingly struggling to keep numbers up to produce that pollination because of disease because of cl climate change because of uh, pesticide pesticide use as well so it's uh, increasingly strained and um, fraught business to uh, use honeybees to uh, ensure we have enough food to eat uh, and i saw that in central valley in california myself where there's uh, this huge kind of um, jamboree of uh, of honeybees each year every, every february pretty much every honeybee hive in america is strapped onto a truck and sent to california to pollinate the almond crop there and and as well as other as well as other things so um yeah we're hugely dependent upon them at a time when we are doing things that kill them off 
which is not in our best interests. I think it's also important to note that honeybees are managed and cared for by humans, at least, um, wild bees such as bumblebees are not. So um, honeybees are consist- constantly having their numbers kind of kind of bolstered by interventions from beekeepers. If you're a bumblebee, there is no such help. You are at the mercy of the environment around you. And um, yeah, like I was saying, we've poisoned the environment. Climate change is making it intolerably hot. Um, and ha- the habitat is going too. They they just don't have enough to eat. So a lot of these wild bees, and there's kind of thousands and thousands of wild bee species, a lot of them solitary bees, some of them with you know smaller nests than honeybees, such as bumblebees, they're, they're suffering uh, kind of out of sight now, mine for a lot of us, um, unfortunately, and, and, and they do crucial work to pollinate um, plants. Uh, tom- tomatoes, for example, are pollinated by bumblebees. Honeybees are unable to do that. So, yeah, we, we're... Um, we're creating a kind of very hostile place for for bees in general. I think the other correcting that that's going on certainly many in my audience probably not the case after our our excellent interview today with you, Oliver Newman. But many might think of insects as as only pests, and so I wonder if you just give us some advice about how to understand insects, their role and value them yeah i mean i think that's one of the most interesting parts for me in writing this but with this cultural aspect of it this kind of cultural mismatch that we have with insects in that we're kind of almost taught um to kind of despise them or at least think of them as pointless um you speak to entomologists who do outreach in schools and they say kind of kindergartners love insects they think they're really cool and they have these kind of amazing abilities by the time they get to high school they kind of find them uh rather distasteful they don't really want anything to do with them obviously in that time period they've been taught something kind of culturally or directly by their parents that insects you know will bite you and sting you or maybe they, they carry disease or they're they're kind of at least emblematic of disease and you can kind of understand that when you think about the burden of malaria for example that mosquitoes carry or uh, or other such diseases you can kind of you can have kind of understand it but I, I do feel our, our our view of insects is completely out of kilter with their importance especially when you consider other animals i mean it would be horrendous for example if we lost all the world's rhinos it would be a terrible crime but we lost all the world's rhinos the impact to us would be minimal i mean we lose lose even you know a portion of insects especially pollinators you know and half food system collapses we we kind of see the kind of breakdown of of the environment around us i mean they are probably the most important animals in the world to us and yet we kind of think of them as being pests and horrendous things um so i think it's i think it it will take some work uh i mean to, to confront this crisis, we we have to kind of at least like what we're saving, don't we? Uh, I think we are seeing some changes in that respect. There are some good kind of save the bees campaigns. And, you know, there's lots of work done by grassroots groups across America to save the monarch butterfly, for example, by planting milkweed and breeding butterflies and so on. So there, I think there is an understanding on some level that um, certain insects are, are very important. Um, but I think we, we kind of do need a kind of fundamental cultural shift about how, how we think about it. Well, Oliver Millman, um, final question for you. 
it, it is grim. It, it's a dire picture. The book, of course, is excellent. The Insect Crisis, written by Oliver Millman, been our guest today. I wonder if you have anything positive to report on, on insects, and can we still stave off this apocalypse in, in losing them? Yeah, I think we can. I mean, I, th- I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I don't want to give the impression it's all doom and gloom. I don't want to give the impression all insects are going to die out. They aren't. We're kind of radically changing the composition of insects. So we're kind of creating a world that's more favorable to mosquitoes and cockroaches than we are to butterflies and bees, which is unfortunate for us. But insects will kind of um, get through this in some form. I think we can do things certainly on a kind of large and small scale to, to help insects. They are the great survivors after all. They've survived five mass extinctions that the world's been through um, so far. Um, they kind of you know, predated and outlived the dinosaurs. So give them a chance and they can kind of bounce back. We need kind of changes on a policy scale, I think, around pesticide use. Um, you know, what's banned and what isn't banned needs to be looked at and habitat restoration. That work can be done. That's not you know, not within, uh, you know, the realms of unpossibility, we can we can do that. But there are things even people, you know, day to day can do to create a kind of oasis for insects. I mean, if you have a backyard, for example, don't mow the lawn as often, you know, don't rake the leaves as often because insects like to live in that. Um, insects, uh, to an insect, a kind of closely mowed lawn is a bit of a desert. There's, you know, it's not much there for them. If you give them a little bit of habitat, let the grass grow a bit, um, put in some uh, plants that native pollinators like, ease off the chemicals, uh, ease off the roundup around the around the yard, that can help them. I mean, we can just if you just give them a little bit of space, they can um, they can leap back into into our lives. And I'd had to say it's a far more interesting place. I know culturally we're taught that you know a manicured lawn is the is the ideal thing aesthetically, but I kind of feel a kind of slightly wilder place where we've invited nature back in is a far more interesting and vibrant place. You go out into grasslands where that haven't been cut and kind of cut, doused in chemicals, and you you see the insects. They're kind of bouncing off your knees. They're kind of you can hear them. It's a humming, thrumming kind of environment. It's it's alive. It's vibrant. It's kind of what what it should be and we shouldn't be scared of that about letting nature in a little bit we shouldn't try and push it to the margins as often if we can kind of just allow ourselves a little bit of nature to to come in we can um, we can help insects bounce back wonderfully put oliver millman's been our guest today thank you so much for your gener- generous time oliver millman for reading a uh, passage from the book that's always special to us the book entitled The Insect Crisis by Oliver Millman is wonderful. It'll teach you something about the value of insects, their important role, and the need for protecting insects today. Oliver Millman, we just uh, thank you so much. We can't lose the pollinators, but thanks for your time today. Good luck with this book, and congratulations. Thanks so much, Paul. Really good to be with you. My thanks to science and environment best-selling author Oliver Millman, author of the new best-selling book, The Insect Crisis. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on radio and podcast. Please check out our website at notold-better.com for all our archives, show notes, and great resources. Have a great week. And remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.